the challenging one is the, is the pre-match walk where it's raining. What do you do then? Uh, that's when you hand it over to the captain. <laughs> you ask him to take the route and he normally goes uh, one circle of the world's smallest car park <laughs> and then walks back in one minute later, you know, saying this is pointless. So why wouldn't you apportion quite a bit of time? As long as you can use 10 phases after the set play to count it as a set play goal. That depends. That's how you get it up to that. That's number. a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> What of a meal of your life would you have? Chicken, lasagna, maybe fish, maybe some noodles, and maybe curry all on the same plate. What's that all about, Dave? It's a cultural kaleidoscope of food. <laughs> yes. Uh... And you know it's like players will find excuses from time to time, or different types of players will find different types of excuses. So the green pesto wasn't green enough. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That 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 type of player. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome, football fans, to Breaking Lines, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of the beautiful game like never before. I'm Gary Rowett, former player and manager, joined by the insightful Dave Carolan, a man with his finger on the pulse of football's beating heart. Together, Dave and I bring you an unrivaled insight, context, and a few stories from the trenches. Join us as we dissect the game, break down the plays, and explore the intricate dance between managers, players, fans, and the beautiful game itself. This is Breaking Lines, where the game is more than just a match. One of the joys of all the away games we have to go to each season is the, it's, it's not just a journey on the coach or on a train or, as we've said previously, we never fly, but getting to the away hotel and having to kill about 20 hours between arriving there and then the game starting the following day. How do you fill that time? What, what happens at a hotel on a Friday night? Friday night? Well, you'd imagine... All sorts of frivolity and, and partying, wouldn't you? But actually quite boring, to be honest with you, isn't it? So, no, I think, I think you get to that point, don't you, where you, certainly that Friday, away, that Saturday away game, I've seen so many people do it so many different ways. But I think usually there's that little part of you, what hopefully everything's boxed off, the team, the tactics, everything. And you can get on that train or that coach or whatever it is and you can relax, but often it doesn't work anything like that, does it? The work is done. Let's just go and enjoy <laughs> let's the game. Let's just go and enjoy it. Let's have a couple of, couple of drinks on an evening. Let's watch the match and let's just chill out, you know, but it never quite works like that. You know, for a player, it works like that, doesn't it? For a player, usually your work's done. You might know whether you're in the team or not. You might have sorted out your tickets. You might, you know, that you just got to get on the coach. And then you're in game preparation mode, aren't you? you? You know, as a player, particularly, you know, if you're a single, if you're a single player, then maybe it's quite a long period of time. If you're away from your family, then maybe it's not ideal. And there's some players that maybe if you're away from your family and you get a decent nice kit because you've got young kids, maybe it's something you look forward to because actually might be better preparation for the game than, than, um, than and, staying at home. I know many a player who's asked to travel the night before, <laughs> if at all possible, even if the game is at home, can we travel to the game? Yeah, and, that, and that's what you get, don't you? So you get different, different degrees of players liking it, not liking it, but it's part of what we do in it. You know, often twice a week, 
or twice a month, depending on the fixture list. We're sat in a hotel the night before a game, and it is a little bit groundhog day when you've been there doing it for about 15 years, isn't it? You know, so every hotel, well, no, every hotel's not the same. Of course, every, like different degrees of quality of food, for example. So we've been to some hotels and, and the oh, food's oh absolutely brilliant. And you think, wow, I'm actually looking forward to getting there. And we've had other hotels where they haven't quite managed to get it all out on time. And you sat there as a manager. Or at all. Or at all. And you're sat there thinking, oh my God. And I'm looking at you guys thinking, even though you're not cooking the food and you haven't organized the travel, I'm thinking, you need to sort this out quick because this is going to start getting embarrassing with the players. And you don't want to start a, an away game with that feeling of things going wrong logistically and on the way to games, do you? Or, or you might set off and suddenly start getting stuck in traffic and the coach driver's joking about it. You're secretly starting to get annoyed. It's not their fault necessarily, but you're getting annoyed because you think this is going to be one of those seven, eight hours where the players, by the time they get to the hotel, are absolutely chewing. Because if we'd have gone a different way, we'd have been there by now or we'd have been there in four hours. Four hours. So, so I think there's different scenarios about the mood that you arrive at the hotel in, isn't there? I mean, you're probably best placed to answer this first bit. How challenging is, let's say we're getting the train somewhere. So let's say we're in London. We're getting the train out of London because, of course, that's one of the big challenges we found managing a club in London is sometimes on a Friday at, just getting out of just London. getting out of London <laughs> on a Friday at one o'clock you know you don't matter when you leave sometimes it can take you two hours to get out of London so a lot of times we would get the train let's say you're in charge of those logistics how tough is that with 22 players and maybe 15 staff all going all their own ways for coffee and sandwiches and whatever and you know, how, how tough are those logistics to manage? I mean, when I started, it was so simple. Like, you just literally had to make sure the bus turned up on time. You got the players on as soon as they were ready, and that was it. They just departed, and the card schools would take over, and everyone just kind of amused themselves, you know? So even if it took six hours, they were all together, and they had decent crack going on. But nowadays, of course, with how we travel and the level of quality of the traveling... I mean, players now plugging into their own systems for gaming or whatever, you know, headphones are on. So it becomes a little bit more insular. So you're trying to keep everybody essentially within that comfort time window they have before they get bored or before they get to the point where they're frustrated. (laughs) So 11 minutes later, (laughs) yeah, certainly trying to navigate yourself around the country. We're generally working back from how long is it going to take us to get wherever that location is, um, which gets us to the hotel with enough time, with a little bit of comfort for the players and the staff to get to the room, settle in, and then get down for, for dinner at whatever time that's going to be at. So half six, seven, half seven, whatever's decided. So you're working back from that. You're allowing some time for the inevitable traffic finder system that the bus driver is using in order to find a traffic jam somewhere on the way, an accident. Standard. Yes. So once you've built in some you know, percentage of extra time to allow for that, it's then thinking, right, what time are we going to leave? And then you're, you're hopefully choosing a good time to train to allow you to, again, with relative comfort, be able to do everything so nothing feels rushed. I think the challenge comes when, especially getting out of London, you have to navigate London public transport and 
that means inevitably people are rushing through underground stations, train stations, um, or racing around to a to, to whatever the location might be that they have to to get to in order to start the journey. So there's almost a journey before the journey, and then eventually you get to the hotel. You've lost that 16 year old that's travelled with a first team that oh, hasn't God. had parental consent, and you've lost him on the Jubilee line somewhere. Yeah. Tagging a player on who has to be, you know, under house arrest the whole way up there. That's that's another challenge for for the safeguarding people out there listening. We've never lost anybody. Yeah. <laughs> but it, but so yeah, so so I think so. Let's presume we arrive at a hotel, okay, and everything's sorted. I mean, there's probably different parts of this, isn't there? So I think the obvious thing is, you know, when when do we have the meetings or when do we have the preparation parts to the game? So often. You would have done your team meeting on the morning before you travel, or, or, you know, the opposition team meeting. I think what we would tend to do is, you know, by the time the players get to the hotel, they'd go straight in for the set-piece meeting. So we'd have a separate set-piece meeting that the coaches would potentially take. How, how long would that last for? And what, is that going through all the set plays or is that, that the opposition that, ones? That would or? usually the opposition set plays where... So, so what you would usually do there is, okay, this is how the opposition attack set pieces let's highlight some of those movements so you know let's say it's a corner okay these are the short corners that they've done this is what we're going to do to counteract that these are the blocks that they've done these are the thing the ways we're going to defend to counteract that so i think you're giving them a really good visual on a big screen within a presentation where you're highlighting certain individuals or you're highlighting the amounts of players that do certain things. So if there's four players that attack it, then you're highlighting those four. It might be the same four players every week. It might be different versions of that, depending on how many players they've got that would do that. You might then look at then how they then defend corners. Let's just use corners as an example. These are the spaces that they leave. You know, these are the spaces, you know, we think we can drag them to the near post and get someone around the back post for a shot. We think we can drag them all towards a goal and we can get someone around the penalty spot or edge of the box for a shot. You know, different scenarios. They zonal mark. You know, they man-to-man mark. They, they do a combination of both. So there's lots of different ways that you would show those set pieces. I think the importance of that meeting is quite simple, that no matter what level of football you play at, you know, we spoke about it before, statistically, let's say it's between cons- conservatively between 30 and 40% of all goals in the championship are scored from set pieces. I think even in the World Cups, let's say it's 25% to 30. So why wouldn't you apportion quite a bit of time? As long as you can use 10 phases after the set play to count it as a set play goal. That depend- That's yeah. how you get it up to that. Number. That's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> but I think all that information, I think, is, is, is yep. valid. Yes. You know, it might sit alongside your team opposition meeting it might sit alongside your game plan meeting but i think ultimately it's just as important so so that would tend to happen and sometimes i would sit in that meeting sometimes i'd let them get on with it some you know when you're always in the same meetings talking about the same things sometimes i let the coaches get on with it you know i'd sit in there they can be just reminders rather than actual you know formal this team does something vastly different yeah. it can just be reminders because yeah. you, you would have gone through some of that anyway in the morning I was just going to say, don't forget, we'd have done that in the morning. We'd have probably spent 20 minutes at the end of training or half an hour at the end of training. You might even have done it the day before as well. So I think, yeah, they're just just reinforcements. They're they're an opportunity to show 
that phase live that you've actually spoken about in the morning, but you haven't actually showed the players. You might show them before and then do it. It depends on your time and, and what you tend to do. But often we would do that at a hotel. I think then you've got the next morning where you've got the game plan meeting. So then there would be the opportunity just before you leave. Sometimes, usually, if it's, if it's a three o'clock kickoff, you do it just before you leave. If it's an evening kickoff, you'd probably do it after lunch because you've got a bit more time in the day. And that would be a, let's go back over what we're going to try and do to win the game. You might name the team if you haven't named it. You might rename the team just so you know who's on the bench because often you'd name the team, you wouldn't name the bench. You might have 20 players or you might have 22 players traveling. So there's different meetings, there's different ways of articulating and showing that meeting. And I think sometimes then there's, there's different ways, isn't there? There's, there's, we've been at clubs where the staff use it as an opportunity to actually spend time together and, and build a bit of camaraderie. And we've had it where, you know, we'll have a game of cards or something in the evening or we'll sit and watch a game in the evening altogether. And we might have a, we might have a couple of glasses of wine. You know, because at that point, we've more or less done our, done our work. Sometimes that's interspersed by you guys. I mean, you know, give me an idea of what sort of things the players would need on the evening prior. Because not all the staff would be in watching the game straight away because they'd still be working. So. No, certainly the medical staff and potentially some of the performance staff will be um, providing different type of support services to the player. So that would be massage or maybe stretching or maybe pool sessions. You know, quite often in the past, if we've had a long journey, we'd have arranged that the, the hotel will have a pool and then we can go straight in from the journey and kind of get them moving and active again because they can spend like five, six hours just sat in a coach, which isn't ideal preparation to be sat down almost pretty much static for so long. So we get them into the pool They'll come in, do their meeting, have some, have some food, which is normally, it's probably one of the best times of the week because everybody, like staff and players, can all be in the same room together. And while you would think the players might just head back to their rooms, they often stay down there for like a good hour, don't they? And uh, just chat and you, you actually see the different groups having good fun together. And then if some aren't having treatment, We've been at one club where they ended up playing. It's the hottest game in town at the moment. Traitors, isn't it? But recently at Millwall, they were playing, um, what was it called? Wolfie, I think it was. And we were bemused by this game that they were heading off. But the players headed off for probably two plus hours, essentially playing this other form of what is a popular TV program now, Traitors. They were playing that, you know, two years ago. So yet again in a cutting-edge environment, way ahead, of, <laughs> way ahead of anybody else. Knowing Apparently about a lot of the European teams already play that, and that's where I think it came in, didn't it? A lot of our sort of players we signed from, from European teams perhaps brought it in. And actually, it was quite interesting, wasn't it? Because probably things like that actually build, build your culture and build that camaraderie. When you have a scenario where all the players are going to play, it doesn't really matter what they're doing, does it? The players want to spend time all together after the meal, and that's... That's quite key, isn't it? I've seen different clubs do different things. So I've been at clubs where the staff go and have a meal separately somewhere else and the players do it on their own. I've seen it where... Good times. Good times. I can, I can tell you <laughs> better that. Meal. <laughs> better meal. Better <laughs> meal. A la carte menu. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yes. Salivating, <laughs> as you say. <laughs> Till that started to go on your P11D. No, I'm only joking. And I've also seen it where, you know, I mean, I've seen it a long time ago where the staff would go out. 
I mean, I don't, that, that wouldn't work for me or, you know, but that was obviously different, a very different culture. One of the very few times I've ever seen, this is a bit that always fascinates me and I do it. What of a meal of your life would you have chicken, lasagna, maybe fish, maybe some noodles and maybe curry all on the same plate? What's that all about, Dave? It's a cultural kaleidoscope of food. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, we've moved on, I think, from providing like a standard spaghetti bolognese and, uh, and soup. Not necessarily in that order. But <laughs> um, yeah, I, th I think just the challenge of players who have got so many different preferences now about how they like to prepare means it is essentially a, a smorgasbord of food that's out there and players can choose whether it's potatoes rice spaghetti all different forms of meat i mean there's just so much food now provided so you have to be really regimented as a member of staff over across the season to ensure that you don't overeat on those away games but always leave enough room for the um, apple crumble which <laughs> the is quality of the apple crumble which is the standard every hotel is measured against is how good the apple crumble is or the short straw you're a vegan player and you turn up and there's one vegan option. Everyone else has got 25 options and there's one vegan option. Yeah, but the vegan option also has fully, you know, he's got as much as all of the others have for their whole meals. We also have to cater for, you know, different people with different dietary requirements, you know. So whether that's kosher food, whether that's those who are vegan or vegetarian. So that's a challenge and you have to make sure that the, the hotels box that off correctly. So yeah. in the in the past, again, food hygiene is important um, to ensure there's no contamination. I've had players in the past with various, you know, kind of nutritional challenges, if you want to call it, you know, who've got um, allergies that you might think that they can't have food that's been in contact with any form of nut or anything like that. Or you have players who have got, you know, an allergy to things like celery. And you're having to also ensure that when you're going to hotels that they've been hygienic with the food preparation. And actually what I realized years ago was I just stick that on every menu now because what it does do is it makes every hotel ensure that their food preparation is good. So they don't, you don't necessarily have to have somebody who's got a, an allergy, but putting it on there ensures that at least the food's going to be prepared like tip top. That's, I suppose that's the experience, isn't it? When you've done so many trips, you know, like someone like yourself has, that you, I suppose you get, there's nothing worse than something going wrong at a hotel, is it? And the player's in a negative state over something quite small that then can start to drift into the whole trip and drift into your Saturday's mentality a little bit. And you know it's like, play, players will find excuses from time to time, or different types of players will find different types of excuses. So The green pestle wasn't green enough. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that, that, that type of player. Um, yeah, yeah. But, but those are the challenges, aren't they? So I suppose if you get, the, so you get the meal out of the way, let's say you've been disciplined and you've only had about three different main courses on your plate, and you've had the apple crumble. Excellent work. And all the players have gone. And then at that point, I suppose then, you know, again, what would most of us do? We'd sit and watch the match. Like, so, so not everybody, you know, not every member of staff loves watching football. Not every player loves watching football. I've, I've had it where we've got the match on a big screen and there might be four or five of the players sat there with the staff watching it. Or, you know, there might be four or five of the staff watching it. 
Or there might be 10 of the staff watching it. So again, if it's a match on, often we'd sit there, we'd have a beer. And as a manager, it's quite a funny time because often your state of relaxation is going to be dictated to by your team and how confident you are that you've picked it properly and your tactics. Let's say you've won three games on the spin and you've got no reason to change the team and nobody's complaining that you're not changing the team because you've won the games and the players can't say too much if you're out of the team. And you know you're going to roll with the same team. You've picked it in the day. There's nothing controversial. You can probably be quite relaxed watching that game. Utopia. (laughs) That is utopia. Unfortunately, that's never happened very often. Um, But there could be so many things going on through your head. You know, I could have two... We touched on this in one one of the other episodes. I could have two players that I've got to leave out the team and I'm sat watching with a glass of wine thinking, this is a false dawn. Because at some point... I've got to try and find that player. Yeah. I've got to try and catch him maybe going out the meal or I've got to try and catch him, you know, in the lobby or whatever afterwards and, and, and use that opportunity where I can speak to him face to face. I might be watching the match and not even really watching the match, just thinking about the team and what I've got to do and, and what do I need to change? Or is, and, you know, is the game plan good enough? Is the game plan realistic enough? So, so I think there's so many different scenarios that you can be in on, on that evening. And that's no different to the next morning. You know, the next morning you come down for breakfast, you're, you're looking for a certain player, that player doesn't turn up. So now you're thinking, when am I going to grab him? I'm going to have to wait till pre-match now. Or I'm going to go to, I'm gonna have to wait for the walk. Why do we do a walk? Is that just, does every team do a walk? Every is team does a walk. Is that just something that's yes. happened for, is that still scientifically proven? Absolutely. The right form. I can't name the piece of research, but you know, <laughs> subjectively, every team it's knows been independently studied. Yeah, I, I don't know because when when I started again, it was it was just something that teams did. They all went for a walk. I think it was probably to ensure all the players had got out of bed, which was probably the first thing because breakfast was not always compulsory, but pre-match was when when us scientists brought in pre-match because it essentially was one of those things where we were telling players that. They can't just fuel up for breakfast, have a sandwich, and go and play a game of football and expect to have optimal performance. It's not to mean you you can't play, but you're just probably going to run out of run out of energy. Or cl- or clubs saying we're not going to pay for both. We'll let you yes. have because that happened quite a lot, didn't it? Yes. We'll let you have either breakfast or pre-match, <laughs> or do some form of hybrid, inv- some sort of hybrid meal. Yeah, wasn't it? Because players had come down at. A brain players, yeah, <laughs> players had come down at say nine o'clock or ten o'clock yeah. at the end of breakfast and have a bit of breakfast, but not a lot. And then at eleven o'clock or half eleven, they're then coming into pre match. So essentially, when you're really looking, as if you're going to wait that late, or you've got the player who wants to come down at eight o'clock because that's his routine, and he needs breakfast. So that was also a challenge, wasn't it? You know what? What you know? How, I, in I, your I, early days, that must have been a bit of a problem. Yeah, I tell you what, the biggest. Biggest challenge was was the player who didn't want to come to breakfast, but breakfast was compulsory. So he came in with 30 <laughs> seconds to go of the window of breakfast. So let's say breakfast finished at half past nine. He'd come in at 9.29. He'd literally come in, sit on, player. sit on a seat for like five seconds and get up and go again. And then, I was here. <laughs> it's, not, it's not the point. We're, we're asking you to eat. But anyway. Um, yeah, the, the the walk was just something that 
obviously came in to ensure that everybody was up and out and ready and at least when they were going into pre-match they were a little bit more alert than they were if they were just sitting around the bed but yet ironically if it was a home game you had zero control as to what they did and what time they got up and even if they had a pre-match but i think players are far more professional now they get up and they get active in the morning yeah they do something wouldn't they i suppose the, the challenging one is the, is the pre-match walk where it's raining what do you do then uh, that's when you hand it over to the captain. <laughs> you ask him to take the route, and he normally goes uh, one circle of the world's smallest car park <laughs> and then walks back in one minute later, you know, saying, This is pointless. Uh, but I think we now scramble into some kind of force other physical uh, activation session to just, again, try and get them at least physiologically a little bit more alert than they were like four minutes before when they crawled out of bed for some of them. So we've got the nutrition sorted, we've yeah. got the travel sorted, we've got the pre-match walk and the physical preparation sorted. Now I suppose there comes that point when I do that pre-match meeting and you're now starting to... It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because you're often, let's say, your meeting is at half 12 and you're leaving straight away, you know, maybe at quarter one. You think it's going to take maybe 45 minutes to half an hour and, you know, you're giving yourself that little bit of time. So you're still two and a half hours away from kickoff. So you can't really get the players super motivated for the game just yet. You've got to try and find that in-between motivational talk. I would tend to stick to just the tactical pieces at that point. I would tend to stick to just the game plan pieces and try to keep it focused really on what do we need to do? What do we need to do positively to try and win the game? And then I would often think about that the last thing you say to the players before they go out on the pitch, more as a psychological touch, more as a psychological impact talk and how you might do that. A little bit like the halftime team talk, which we spoke about. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that's when suddenly your trip, your away trip, your journey, your preparation now starts to turn that switch into, you know, you're there to win the game all the way along. But I think players sometimes need that little switch and often coming down for that meeting in the tracksuits all together sat formally in front of a screen often for a player that's the point where you know they start to really get into that match day mode don't they? they start to get into that match day psychology of now i'm thinking about the game now i might start to visualize on the bus or i might start to play my favorite music or i might start to play my video of me scoring goals or whatever and i think that's probably a really poignant cut off for the player now it's game time now it's work time yeah i think it's practically impossible for them to go the whole of a journey thinking about the game and nothing but the game nowadays because a lot of the players certainly at premier league championship and probably even in league one level now would have their own rooms so you've moved away from a time where they naturally relax with a with a teammate in the room and they just talk about anything and everything now players are can be quite isolated when they're in a, at a hotel you know whether they're gaming they'll even game across rooms when they're playing against each other but just be in separate rooms they have their own rooms now i suppose that's changed over the years where the players have decided that they're going to be a little bit more isolated a little bit more individual but certainly by the time they're they've come down done the walk and by the time they've finished the meeting and we're on our way yeah they've switched into game mode now and 
hopefully they've slept better because you've not had somebody in the bed next to you, not in the actual bed next to you, but in a separate bed in the same room, but snoring away. Um, you've got good night's rest and hopefully you're prepared for the game. They're the different things, aren't they? I suppose when you look back and you think of how the games or, or a Friday night has changed over the years, you know, you, you would, you'd certainly have a lot more overnight stays, wouldn't you? than you previously did. Because often before it would be, okay, you can have an overnight stay for the long trip. And that then, that then really, I suppose, championship and above, maybe even League One and above, that then suddenly became, well, probably League Two as well, maybe even a conference. But that became almost, a Friday night became the norm. Yep. You know, when I played non-league, it was almost like you travel to every away game on the Saturday if you could just to save money. So, but nowadays, I think everyone budgets in that overnight stay and that overnight and, and that that sort of journey on the on the Friday, like you say again, things like rooms, own room, not shared room, you know. So I think there's a lot of things that have changed, haven't they? But ultimately, often it's you know you want it to go as smoothly as you can, you want to be as organised as you can, you want to give the players zero excuses, and you want to prepare in the best possible way because as we all know, hard enough winning a ho- an away game as it is. So if those hotels listening can make sure that the pesto is green enough. Thank you. There you have it. Episode 10 of season one of Breaking Lines. And it was all about getting to the away fixtures. The challenge of just getting out of London, for example. You have a journey before you begin your actual journey out of the capital to the other part of the country. The logistics of getting everyone to the hotel can be a challenge, especially if the coach driver has their traffic radar set to join every traffic jam. Catering for a professional football team is complex. Dietary requirements, variety across a meal and a season, and ensuring that the apple crumble has enough crumble and just the right type of custard. And then it's prep for the game. Meetings galore and then off to victory. Or at least that's the plan. Please subscribe to us on your podcast provider and give us a rating and perhaps a review. We appreciate them all and they help us climb the podcast league. Join us next time on Breaking Lines. Thanks for listening.